Hello everyone, and welcome to the Grace Nerd Podcast. My name's Eric, and I like to talk about theology and the Christian life. This podcast aims to break down Christian theology in an understandable way, and comment on various aspects of culture from a Christian worldview. You can experience this podcast in video form on YouTube by entering Grace Nerd into the search bar. I hope you'll subscribe so you get notified when new podcasts are released. Thanks for joining me. My first set of episodes here on the audio podcast side of things have been extracted from their YouTube videos after the fact. In video form, texts like Bible verses are displayed on screen, therefore, in the early episodes of the podcast, you won't necessarily hear me say things like quote, end quote, or cite scriptures from chapter and verse. You'll hear this change once the audio podcast has caught up with the YouTube channel, and I'll be taking both viewers and listeners into consideration. Just wanted to put that out there for clarification. While I'm playing catch up here on the podcast side of things, you'll likely see new podcasts every day. Once we're caught up, you'll see new podcasts every week alongside the YouTube channel releases. One other brief note, I'm on the fence about whether the background music is working well for YouTube videos, and I'm even less convinced it will work great for the audio versions. So apart from strong feedback to the contrary, you may see it go away once the two formats are in sync. Anyway, enough intro, let's get started. So, this video was inspired by a few different things. I've been wanting to talk about the doctrine of biblical inerrancy for a while. This is partially because of my experience of seeing uh, various views of the topic throughout my life in the church and throughout my theological education. Many views I came across were far less sturdy than others. Some were downright dangerous in the eyes of a Christian who holds the scriptures in high regard. And more recently, through various conversations with friends and family, in person and on social media, the topic has become fresh in my mind again. What I didn't expect is that the topic was recently made relevant somewhat indirectly. In recent conversation, the question became, what is to be the focus and method of our preaching? It is fascinating how much our doctrine of scripture relates to our methods and philosophy of preaching. To clarify things up front, I'll state that I have a very conservative view of scripture. I believe it is without error in all that it affirms. If it makes a historical statement, that statement is true. If it makes a poetic statement, the message that poetry seeks to communicate is true. If it seeks to communicate a theological truth, that truth is to be affirmed by the believer, etc. One of the most common texts in scripture that grounds this belief can be found in 2 Timothy 3.16, where it says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. In other words, you know when you hold your hand in front of your mouth when you speak and you feel your breath hit your fingers? That is how closely scripture is tied to the mouth of God. All of it has this characteristic. It is words breathed out of his mouth. Three verses later, in light of this definition of scripture, Paul exhorts Timothy, Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. This word we are to preach is a translation of the word logos. This word is used in a few different ways. 
in the Gospel of John, the Logos is actually a reference to Christ. This Logos was with God, was God, and was made flesh. In other instances, Logos refers to commands or messages from God in individual instances. In this case, in 2 Timothy, Paul clearly seems to be applying this idea of Logos to the scriptures. Scripture is a message breathed out by God, so we can preach that message and teach it with the knowledge that God's authority is behind it, so long as we understand and interpret it correctly. It is because I believe in this definition of Scripture and its inerrancy that I also believe in what is often called expository preaching. Simply put, this means that in presenting the Scripture to God's people in preaching, we should work our way through it in such a way that it is seen in its fullness and the main point of each passage we tackle should be our sermon's main point. However, this does not answer every question. While it's easy to affirm that Scripture's message should be our message, we can never include the entirety of the Scriptures in any given sermon or teaching. And while in the thick of any given portion of Scripture, it can be easy to get lost in the woods and not make clear how any given part relates to the whole. Jesus was very clear that all of Scripture, in his context, the Old Testament, was ultimately pointing to him. It was a prediction and a story leading to him, his life, his death, and his work on the cross on our behalf. If we are to be faithful in expository preaching, we must not simply explain the historical context and cultural context and isolated meaning of each passage, but we must also point to the canonical context of a given passage and book. The whole of the canon is centered on Jesus. So how does the passage at hand point to him? Sure, this individual Old Testament command may be morally good, it may reflect the character of God, and it may have wise application. But how does Jesus save us from the condemnation it threatens if we break it? Sure, this proverb may be eternally wise, but is Jesus the answer to the fact that I am inherently unwise? Sure, this prophet may have great insights into the constant moral failings of Israel, but where is all of this depressing history leading? That is not to say that these Christ-centered qualifications should ultimately cancel out the passage at hand, but Christ ought to ever be in the background and ever be the aim. And when any given moral imperative or wise teaching does rightfully land on the Christian, from Old Testament or New Testament, the Holy Spirit is to be our power and not we ourselves and Christ's atonement is to be the solution to every failing this exposes. This is faithful expository preaching in my view. We know Jesus and his gospel are the main point of the scriptures because he and the biblical authors tell us this in those writings. I point this out to engage with something of an objection I've encountered in recent conversations. If the gospel is the main point, and if it was God's plan from all eternity, then shouldn't the gospel be at the center of our preaching and teaching and not the scriptures? Isn't the scripture in some way subordinate to the gospel? I should mention while answering this that some rightfully differentiate between preaching and teaching, saying that we should engage in a more holistic biblical approach as we systematically teach, while focusing more exclusively on gospel proclamation for preaching. I won't dive too deeply into this now, but Suffice it to say that while there is a legitimate distinction between preaching and teaching to some extent, I find it inevitable that preaching and teaching will blend together to some extent in the life of the church. 
Not only that, but in relationship to the question at hand, Paul couples preaching and teaching together when talking about the means of communicating the God-breathed scriptures. He uses the terms preaching and teaching almost interchangeably over the course of those particular verses. But again, is scripture subordinate to the gospel? In a very limited sense, I can affirm this. Yes, God's gospel plan does predate the scripture. God's message is not above God. But at the same time, God is never divided from his own message in any real sense. Not only that, but the only reason any of us in the present day came to understand God's gospel message is because it was communicated to us out of the scripture, couched in the entire context of the scripture's canonical story. One of my foundational principles in relating to scripture is that because it is God-breathed, it will never accidentally point away from what Jesus says the main point is. Genesis leads us to our need for Jesus. The law leads us to our need for Jesus. The prophets lead us to our need for Jesus, etc. Therefore, if we exposit and exegete the scripture well, we will find and make clear its relationship to Jesus and the gospel. And we won't have to force it or rush back to Jesus. Jesus is there waiting for us at the end of each trail in scripture. And if that path seems long, it is only so we'll savor him more when we get there. We can trust the proportionality of scripture and must trust those proportions over our own. The danger I see in subtly contrasting the scriptures and the gospel in this way, particularly when we do it in the wrong context, is that it treats Christ and the gospel as if they are a smaller canon within the larger canon of scripture. Therefore, we inevitably use our intuition to try to sort out which is which, rather than allowing the spirit to lead through the text he inspired. Obviously, we can differentiate between law and gospel in the sense of sorting out what saves us and what doesn't, and applying apostolic interpretations of the Old Testament, etc. But in none of these cases are we picking and choosing what God did and did not say, which parts of scripture inform us about the gospel and which ones don't. If we begin to divide the canon in some way, whether through historical arguments or something else, in order to differentiate between gospel-related and non-gospel-related, then we open the door to being filters of scripture rather than letting scripture be the filter of us. If I can theoretically call into question a portion of the canon, small or large, then I can ultimately define the gospel according to my pre-existing definitions. And I have no other logical option but to conclude that these gospel definitions must have developed in isolation from scripture. This is an issue that has divided denominations in the past. The error I am attempting to combat is called gospel reductionism. Those who hold to it may boast and say they are glad to reduce everything down to the gospel, but that is not the danger being fought, per se. The danger is that the gospel will be reduced to less than itself. We are not wise enough to see all of the gospel-centering and Christ-exalting threads spread throughout scripture and how they shape the subtleties and beauty of gospel truth. Christians did not give this authority to scripture. It demonstrated this authoritative power from the time of its inscripturation, and all the church could do was recognize it for what it was and preserve it faithfully. The incredibly limited amount of dispute regarding its final contents is a testament to God's providence. All of scripture is logos in the sense of being God-breathed, and all of it leads to the ultimate logos, that being Christ. So I hope this video was helpful, and I hope to see you around in the next one. Make sure that if you like the video, you leave a like, 
and uh, subscribe if you want to see future videos. Hit the bell if you want to be notified when they're uploaded. And we'll see you around next time. Talk to you later. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. Again, make sure you subscribe to the podcast so that you can be notified of new episodes. And check out the Grace Nerd YouTube channel so you can experience the content in video form. And by the way, if you're a Christian who likes gaming, I have a gaming channel on YouTube as well called Crossplay Gaming. I stream multiple times a week and do a mixture of unboxings, game commentary, and other nerdy entertainment-related things as well. Simply search youtube.com slash crossplaygamingtv. See you next time.